America struggles to centralize on reopening plans as antibody testing changes the scale and scope of an epidemic. Skate punks teach us something about ourselves, and the government mistakes hotel investment trusts for small businesses. I'm Boston, and this is Boston Makes the News. One hundred percent truth. Balanced reporting. No apologies. This is BMN, America's greatest newsroom. Welcome to the first episode. There's a lot to get to, so let's go ahead and dive right in. First off, the SBA is under fire for its appropriation of current taxpayer and deficit-funded emergency loan program funds for small businesses. According to CNN Business, in fewer than two weeks, the funds the Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP, a $349 billion stimulus effort heralded as a means to help the nation's small businesses pay their workers and keep their operations running, were exhausted. In recent days, it's been revealed how large chunks of funds were gobbled up by chain restaurants, hoteliers, and publicly traded corporations. As a result of heavily lobbied exemption, larger food service operations earned millions of dollars from the PPP in the form of loans, including Potbelly Sandwich Shop, Shake Shack. Shake Shack has, you know, $100 million in cash on hand, as well as Fiesta Restaurant Group, owner of Taco Cabana, Kurakura Sushi in the USA, the largest revolving sushi chain, uh, disclosed a nearly $6 million loan. Operators behind the Ruth's Chris Steakhouses and the J. Alexander's restaurant chains received $20 million and $15.1 million, respectively. Jacob Vigder, professor of public policy and governance, says the amount of money offered through the PPP was never going to be enough to satisfy the immense demand. A recent update for NBC News indicates Shake Shack returned what it requested from the P3 program through the CARES Act, citing unclear rulings and regulations regarding the nature of the lending program. According to ESPN, the Lakers borrowed $4.6 million but repaid it when they saw the funds were depleted. Ashford Hospitality Trust, Ashford Inc., and BHR, all headed up by Monty Bennett as a CEO or chair, applied for a very large amount of funding. You might recognize... These companies, BHR, Ashford, and AHR, or AHT, from a large series of hotel chains, courtyard, etc. And they applied for, in total, let's see, I'm looking at, oh, they applied for well over $100 million out of the program just on their own. Looks like uh, $130 million, roughly, followed by J. Alexander, Fiesta Restaurant Group, and other companies for larger portions as well. It seems like the idea wasn't quite understood, that small brick and mortars that needed help and didn't have the cash on hand to make it through a short, or hopefully short, difficult time were the people that this was designed for. But uh, large companies with extremely high overheads who couldn't handle the financial and stakeholder risk during the time, it wasn't supposed to be for that, by my understanding. i I'm only one opinion. As a counterpoint to that, the system is supposed to get money to these smaller businesses, but the system that was designed 
was designed to be faster instead of having committees and large groups of people and government operations and systems to ensure that each individual person met cert requ certain requirements, each individual company met certain requirements to get the money, uh, that would have been far too slow. So like those with the means and manpower to get a seat at the table would be the ones that could file fastest. And if more collateral was available, or if you were a better candidate, you could ask for a larger loan as need determined. This means the fastest ones in are also the ones who will ask for the most and be approved for the most. I mean, again, that's just my opinion. This leaves smaller remainder to be fought over by businesses that might actually need them as their only usable loan source. Large businesses might be able to take on the loans that they need from banks, but smaller ones that don't have the same collateral options, things like that, may not be able to walk in and demand a large loan or even a, you know, a smaller loan. This looks like a massive failure on its head to hit the intended goals to me. But with people over the country, on and offline, asking for the details regarding SBA P3 loan payments, it's hopefully a matter of time before the pressure results and that data becoming public. This is not like a private person or entity choosing to use money they helped and earned to help out other businesses for interest. This is a government entity acting with money that you already paid, will pay, or you're Technically, your bloodline will pay in taxes or hold as a deficit. That's bad enough, but you don't even get interest on said loans. It kind of almost makes, you know, it makes me think, you know, if there was a reason to hold up additional funding beyond the standard, you know, hey, we want to get our special provisions in there and whatnot, this might actually explain why it was held up. There might, I mean, maybe there'd be another way. Somebody will find something better in the future. And as grim as the present may look at times, the future has gotten a little bit more interesting. 22 days before the Libertarian Party is scheduled to select its own nominee, Republican Justin Amash of Michigan, the most Libertarian member of Congress, has decided to form an exploratory committee about running for president. This is according to Reason Magazine. At the January 2019 Liberty Con in Washington, D.C., Amash, with several LP officials in attendance, told Reason Editor-in-Chief Catherine Mangu Ward that the ideal libertarian candidate wears Air Jordans, as he was wearing them at, at the time, <coughs> and should not be a squishy Republican-like controversial 2016 LP vice presidential nominee and later failed 2020 challenger, Bill Weld, and should be a person who is persuasive to other people, can bring Republicans and Democrats on board, or bring a large part of the electorate on board, because you can't just appeal to diehard libertarians and win the election. Some of the other people in the game at the time, you know, in the, in the in the LP running, are really really upset with this. Some people who might have been the front runner, uh, like uh, Jacob Hornberger, is furious. He's released multiple videos explaining exactly why he thinks this is this is kind of uh, you know an outside play to inside money kind of thing. And uh, you know, sometimes I wonder that the party is unrealistically opposed to those that would be outsiders. And I don't know. I might maybe I just find it a little strange. I I I didn't I wasn't born a libertarian, you know. And even if I I don't it's it's a small L, but I wasn't born the way that I thought. I came into the fold when my ideas shifted, right? Uh I don't see this like forced opposition to outsiders as being the kind of thing that organically feels the way that I'd hope a candidate would want to drive their campaign. So I can see some benefit to that. It actually reminds me of a joke 
that I heard online. A friend of a friend of mine told me. I'll go ahead and read it to you. So, during a libertarian meetup one evening, the conversation turned to thin versus thick libertarianism. The conversation quickly escalated, with one half of the room yelling that they were the true libertarians, and the other half declaring that it was their libertarianism that was more pure. The host of the meetup, educated though he was in libertarian philosophy, didn't know what to do. After the meeting finally ended, without any more consensus than when it had started, he visited an elderly friend who had been deeply involved in libertarianism for many decades. Tell me, said the meetup host, is thin libertarianism correct? The old man answered, it sounds like that's an important perspective. Well then, is thick libertarianism the more true form of libertarianism? asked the host. The old man replied, well, that sounds like an important perspective too. Frustrated, the host replied, surely you can give me something better than that. Every week my members just fight and yell at each other over what true libertarian is and yes, interrupted the old man. Yes, that is true libertarianism. Maybe, just maybe then, there's something to be said about the nature of free and uninhibited discourse, that in the battleground of ideas from all sources, the best ones get carried, and some of the more dangerous ones stay there. All right, well, I'm sure you saw this going, so now we're going to talk about coronavirus. So over at Fox... It says a team of researchers in California found that the number of coronavirus cases in one county may actually be up to 85 times higher than what health officials have tallied and say their data might help better estimate the virus's true fatality rate. 2.49 to 4.16% antibody presence in Santa Clara County as of earlier this month. The most important implication of these findings, according to the same article, is that the number of infections is much greater than the reported number of cases. The data imply that by April 1st, three days prior to the end of the survey, between 48,000 and 81,000 people had been infected in Santa Clara County. The reported number of confirmed positive cases in the county on April 1st was 956, 50 to 85-fold lower than the number of infections predicted by the study. This means more people have had the virus than have gone to the hospital and been counted this drastically affects the denominator of the infection mortality rates in a good and bad way. More have it, but many more fought it off without even suspecting or visiting a hospital. Since these articles, additional tests have been done in New York and L.A. to similar effect. I personally think this is excellent news. I mean, this is, this is really venturing into the realm of personal opinions, but I think this means that Antibodies are being built up to fight the virus in communities at greater than expected rates, and that the mathematics used to determine death rates and infection rates would then need to be reviewed. More data is always welcomed in my mind. Maybe soon, I can get back to my routine of lurking in bookstores, sipping pricey but mediocre coffee, and pondering the in and outs of important things, like determining if I really need to get a copy of that brand new Star Wars role-playing game rulebook for the fourth time this week, or maybe just go to the skate park. Wait, is there something wrong with the... Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, I'm being told that uh, officials in one California city thought they had what it would take to keep people away from a local skate park. 37 tons of sand. They were wrong. This is according to CNN, by the way. 
While the skateboarders at Ralph's Skate Court in San Clemente, California, were temporarily t deterred by the city's attempt to enforce the state's strict social distancing measures put in place to fight the coronavirus, a group of dirt bikers was only encouraged. It's uh, it's kind of it's kind of interesting to see you know that people really even even in times where they should be following the rules like we it's it's super critical to understand I'm I'm one of those so-called essential workers I wear a mask and take all these extra safety precautions and rules and regulations just so I can go out and keep working but uh, to see people take personal ownership over a community space even in a time that it's troubling to do that it's 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 dangerous right the the, the cdc and, and our state and local governments tell us don't go out and do this it's part of me still kind of i don't know cheers for the fact that people are taking care of their of, of public land and and things that they have been given i mean it's kind of been said that the alternative is if you don't build a skate park they're just gonna grind public benches and rails and things like that but you know like there, there's this thing going around people saying you know it's allowable to congregate indoors at a walmart but it's illegal to take your rv out camping leaving your home for a non-essential reason or go to a skate park in the sun where a fresh air makes people feel healthier and emotionally balanced you know i i don't know i i think that a review of the draconian measures we're under though i'm fairly certain they were necessary at the time of implementation should be reviewed soon with the new data and if the data supports it people should be able to socialize and exercise in the sun soon for our mental and social health someone that i you know i consider them a friend but they they you know they told me that they were much more worried about the isolation the social isolation and the effects that that'll have on social health more than they were worried about governmental and inter you know interinstitutional interaction and uh you know he also warned me that there's nothing to worry about until your local trader joe's doesn't have vegan pizza anymore but i think that just like all things a balance can be struck leveraging new data and public health concerns that benefits more and more of the population as the situation improves and time goes on it's not a light switch you know the folks out there screaming for for rights like that that argument makes sense but there's there's a balance it, if you're doing a personal risk assessment and you're not considering the externalities and public health and things like that it makes perfect sense that you should be out there protesting it seems to me though that that kind of misses half of the equation when when you know if you're doing just a personal risk assessment you're only factoring in the things that affect you your health the work you're doing whatever tasks you're on you know like am i going to hit my head on this is this ladder secured whatever but you're not really thinking about you know does the fact that i'm not wearing a mask affect others and even if you kind of uh, reject data and 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 some of the some of the statistics and and, and authority in the in authorities in this case like the cdc state local regional governments if you're struggling with that it's also, I think, really important to consider that the people around you, not everyone is going to agree with you. And it, it, it changes the conversation when people are, you know, afraid that, they, I mean, they just don't share the same understanding as someone who'd be go out, going out protesting. They'd have this idea in their head that, that the masks are 
working and the statistics tend to make that look like that is the case we don't have a counterfactual you know and we never will because it's theoretically impossible to get one you know but we can compare to the models and comparing to the models the the, dis the implementation and procedures that we've done have shown promise and have done you know have done some work so for people who carry that opinion it's just scary and i think that there's an aspect of this that a lot of people are missing is that a sense of security that stems from not a not an authority, not like a an appeal to authority, like authorities, authority figures are going to make us safe. CDC regulations are going to make us safe, but that just that people feel safe in their communities with their neighbors. They feel like their neighbors are going to do the right thing. It's it's why places like um, this, we are just dancing, dancing on the line of controversy tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Sweden. Sweden was originally, you know, criticized and there's articles in the recent news from major outlets that say, you know, something to the opposite. They they say that these guys have really shown a very strong sense of social togetherness, that the people are together in the concept that they need to look out for each other. And, you know, if 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 you can do something that makes your community feel more whole, there's a, there's a lot of value in that and you know where where i live it's there is a sense of community people that live here they know they live here it's not you know it's 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 one of those kind of places and to see people out there you know some people would say playing fast and loose with the current regulations it it challenges that in ways that i don't think we were prepared for and i personally would like to see like a I'd like to see people coming together over this rather than splitting down the lines like the classic lines of liberal conservative left right it doesn't this is a whole new line this is like like we have words we have names for people that break them into groups and isolate them and allow them to be targeted with criticism as like this entity and I just I just don't think that's right I think I think we can do more and do better for our communities than that even if you don't even if you don't have the kind of buy-in that your neighbor has maybe it's something worth considering just for the benefit of us all right that that the people next door to you would just feel better sleep better knowing that their community is thinking about keeping them safe in some small way according to the cdc this isn't the first SARS or coronavirus-related outbreak, and many common ailments, like the common cold, are considered caused by more common human coronaviruses. The lasting implications of this are still unknown. This, this could be something that we carry, you know, that, that has small returns, like, like SARS, which was pretty aggressively eradicated, and could be like a common cold that has been with us forever the flu has been with us forever we, the data isn't in yet to tell us whether this is something that we're going to be done dealing with in a month or we're going to be talking about this for a long time and the conversation could take a shift i think away from this you know are you a reopener type or are you a you know for lack of a better word sheeple type and that i just don't think that 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 line is beneficial to us i think so much more can be done at the community level 
to get through this if we stop taxonomizing each other, stop breaking each other into groups and finding ways to make our group better than another group. Because, I mean, it's kind of cheesy to say, but we are in this together. If we break ourselves into pieces and, and dump on each other, we're just going to make everything bad. It's not going to be a nice place to be. We, I want to be able to go back out soon. I don't want to be, you know, going to work, coming home, and bunkering down. I, I want to feel like the people around me could behave in such a way that we can trust each other enough that we don't have to have someone like the CDC, state, regional, local governments tell us whether we can or can't open. But more so, I trust my neighbor. I trust my community. My community is looking out for us, and we're going to do what's best. We're going to listen to the people that, that, that know, and we're going to listen to information and new data as it comes in. And we're going to try and make things right for each other. And I think... I think that that could be more valuable than some sort of miracle cure fish tank cleaner lung aerosol thing that we're beating around on the you know on the on the news and the news and the pressers. I think we need to do a better job of taking care of each other. Because more important than can I go get a frozen pizza is what is it like to live with your neighbors, your friends, and your community? Though, realistically, this whole thing kind of makes you hope for some sort of miracle cure. <laughs> like something over-the-counter, you knock this thing out, and, you know, not even have to worry about that anymore. We can just go back about our lives. Well, now that I've gone on this tirade and brought everyone down, let's take a commercial break. We'll be right back. Do you feel trapped inside your own home? Not like the man you should be. It's not hard to feel that way, and let me tell you, I've found a solution to cut down harmful tyranny, no matter what hole it hides in. You remember the Liberator XXL UV? Some folks have been complaining that the 6D cell requirement made the Liberator XXL UV unwieldy and inconvenient. Well, we have heard your feedback and have created the Liberator XXL UV Go! <laughs> with a rapid-release, rechargeable battery system for maximum on-the-go utility. Its powerful UV light works to sanitize those bad elements that would usurp your rights, while an oscillating flywheel creates powerful vibrations that break loose and obliterate anti-freedom buildup and deposits with extreme prejudice. Call now and we will include an extended back battery kit and a free rail-mounted aerosol disinfectant delivery system for those extra resilient anti-freedom elements. Take back your freedom today with the Liberator XXL UV Go from Phallic Therapeutics. These statements are not read, validated, sanctioned, suggested, or even remotely safe. Please consult anybody before using this product as they will sure advise against it. Please do not break any laws, folks. This was a comedic sketch and not an actual suggestion. was pretty terrible and we took their money 
So in new news, Apple has released a new set of products about a week ago that uh, has changed up, but also not really changed up the market. They released a new 12.9-inch iPad Pro that uh, is not so much different than the previous model. I mean, look, this may be the most controversial segment of this entire show, and I've purposefully tried to step on people's proclivities. I'm... I just just bear with me as we drudge through this, right? So the new iPad, it's 12.9 inch. It's I think it's a little bit, well, it's larger than two iterations ago, but it's the same size, I think, more or less as the latest iteration before. Uh, supposedly, it comes with more RAM unless you bought the best version, highest hard drive size or sar- solid disk, solid state drive size of the previous model. But uh, the biggest thing they're touting is uh, LiDAR in their camera. So for those of us at home that uh, may have not seen a commercial yet or don't know what LiDAR is, it is, it is an optical system for detecting shapes in, insofar as this camera could detect, at least in the commercials, they kind of paint a picture of it. It detects what's in your living room and lets you interact with software apps and whatnot. Maybe, you know, you can put like a couch, like a like a digital couch in your living room so you can watch your friends try and sit on it and laugh at them, uh, although I'm not sure how that would work. Or you could play games that might actually take place on your, you know, your living room table. Uh, or, you know, if you're really into it, you could just, you know, gather all that data up and send it off to anyone who wants to know what the inside of your living room looks like. <laughs> but uh, who am I to judge? The uh, new SE model of the iPhone came out. So, you know, the, the old SE that was kind of like uh, like the, the earlier phones, the small phones. I, I got a buddy who's really into those. And uh, they, they he hung on to his for a really long time and to the point where it's barely holding together at this point. And uh, so they just released a new one. And I, I think that's I think that's pretty cool. You know, the, the, the price point's nice and they, they shrunk down the case and the screen size. But the uh, the battery is also smaller, but it keeps the battery life similar, right? So they're not going to, you know, shrink the screen size, try and fit the same size battery in there, and it'll be all weird shaped. No, they're just going with a nice, small iPhone for people that don't want to see every single little pixel and get up and see big screen, and they, they only want to pay $399. That's pretty cool, because that puts, you know, an iPhone in the in the hands of some people who may not want to finance or... You know, who, who who could only finance a certain amount, you know, and, and that definitely puts better tech, better guts, and better OS in the hands of people who ordinarily might have considered a feature phone. So that's really cool. On the complete opposite end of the spectrum, and I know I'm going to get some hate for this, so whatever, whatever. Apple released a sleek, gorgeous monitor stand at a measly price of $999.99. A monitor stand, ladies and gentlemen, this is the thing your screen goes on and it costs more than my entire computer. Ladies and gentlemen, we have reached peak monitor stand. Let that sink in for a minute. We couldn't do any better. It's over. Why try and compete with something that's just been so perfect just made into this beacon of perfection that no one can compete with and now they can charge a thousand dollars for a monitor stand and people are going to eat it up well I tried this set of jokes on a friend of mine and well he set me straight 
He says that it's comparable to other companies' equipment when paired with their monitor, and the monitor stand is supposed to be for like film and creators and, and people doing CG work, VFX work, and they're gonna need these really, really expensive monitors. And if you take the monitor that comes with the stand and you put the two together and you look at a third party, now it's competitive. And the question for me is, why would you do that? I couldn't figure that out from a from a like get it to market perspective. I suppose I guess it's there to give people the ability to upgrade. I don't know. You guys are gonna have to at me with this. I I don't know. You 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 uh you Apple nerds out there. I mean, I I guess I can count myself amongst you to a smaller degree. But at me, tell me what's up with this. Why why should I pay a thousand dollars for a monitor stand? You tell me what the what the buy-in is for me. And you know, sure, maybe I can be convinced, but let's 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 have a conversation about that. I just think it's a little odd to split the baby and make the monitor, you know, look cheaper by decreasing the price, make the monitor competitive, and just pick it up on the back end with the monitor stand. I mean, you think about it, it's your son or daughter's first car or a monitor stand. I mean, how hard is that decision? You know, they don't need to get anywhere. They're not trying to date anybody. They're not trying to live a life or nothing. You really just it's it's an easy decision. You get the stand, you know. It's not it's not that tough. Well, <laughs> I guess uh, to kind of start closing things up for this uh, this first show, you know, I wanted to talk about some of the stuff that I had dealt with when I started designing and the iterations of this podcast and what the intent is and where I'm going to go with it. Um, so before I could even push the record button on any of this, I had to figure out how to you know get it into an aggregator get that get that information sent over to you know i i started by thinking okay i'm just going to upload this to spotify it's going to be like youtube it's not a big deal (laughs) i was very wrong (laughs) so i spent some time learning about rss feeds and podcast aggregators and different marketing and monetization schemes that people had thought of and and so i ended up settling with uh with an aggregator that um that has a lot of a lot of fun stuff that you can do with your equipment on the back end and and uh, and then i found you know you have to you have to pipe that over from your aggregator via rss feed into you know into the sources that you want to listen so you guys are very likely listening on spotify i'm not hosted on apple music or apple podcasts and you know most of my traffic is coming from the spotify direction and so i learned you know about metadata being stored inside of stuff and and how that metadata goes from being something innocuous that I put inside the recording as I'm done with it in my in my uh, audio workstation, it ends up being, you know, client or, or listener facing data, <laughs> and you learn about that the hard way when you put like test one two three in a metadata slot and it ends up on Spotify. And they didn't screen me or anything. That was weird. I thought I was gonna have to you know hit an agent or something. No, no, they just say you're welcome. Come on in. The water's fine. We'll share it with you. And so I, uh, I did, and I worked with some guys, some old friends of mine from high school to do some artwork and reached out to somebody, the, the recording at the beginning of this, the, the voice of God announcer, and, and then the, the voice from the trailer that isn't me uh, is uh, John St. John. You know him better as uh, the voice of Duke Nukem, Big the Cat, a few different characters in uh, World of Warcraft, and it just surprised the hell out of me how willing that some established creators are to go out of their way and make something happen for for us entry-level guys and 
it was it was a you know it was a dream come true to work with him and I got got a cool little sketch out of it and my intro out of the way and it made it made some things really easy for me so I guess the moral of the story is you know without the inspiration I have for content the the people that I learned from the people that I am inspired by and the people that have honored me with their time um, and their and their creative abilities I wouldn't have been able to get anywhere with this I wouldn't know what to do without you know, my, my devil's advocate and best bud that bounces ideas off of them and try and make sense of things. It's not something that I'm so great at when I, I sound like, <laughs> I think I sound great right now. You know, I, my ideas are clean, cohesive, but listening to this later, I'm just going to judge myself so harshly. You know how it goes, but he's that voice that kind of helps me there. And then the person, you know, having someone who listens and doesn't always know all the ins and outs of what you're trying to get at, but helps guide and be the voice of reason. My uh, my better half, who by this time of recording is probably fast asleep, uh, <laughs> she uh, she backed me up in, in ways I could not have done myself. And uh, all of that together gave me the ability to uh, to use what what skills I was able to learn and put together something that was, like I said in the, in the trailer, it's a bizarre and strange experiment in the, uh, in the world of whistling past the graveyard of current events and consumer reporting and whatever else. And, uh, you know, and boom, there it is. We have a podcast. So we try, we try and we get somewhere. Um, my hopes with this project as I continue is to really take my inspiration from my listeners. A lot of a lot of shows will put that behind a paywall or, you know, hide it away where no one else can get to it. And, and, and except for the people that are already, you know, contributing some sort of funds. And I just don't see that as, I mean, this is an exercise in communications and helps me keep my head clear, focused on something. And this is, this is something that's, uh, it started as just something to do while we were all stuck inside, able, you know, not able to go mini golfing or, to the GameStop for the fifth time this week waiting for Final Fantasy 7 Remake to come out which, you know I spent all my money on recording equipment so I won't be buying that so soon but, uh, you know, doing all that instead this is what this has been for me and so I really want to take this opportunity to really try and get you guys, the listeners, on board so, my email uh, my email my Twitter all of that Please consider, uh, please consider reaching out. Right, I'm I'm on Twitter at uh, at Boston makes the one, the number one, Boston makes the one, and you can reach me at my email at Boston makes the news at gmail.com. and you can also find me at um, at BMN Pod on Facebook. Um, I'll keep my I'll keep my listings there as updated as I can, and uh, as we work through ideas for sketches and and um <clears throat> the things you guys want to see the stories that matter to you just treat me like anyone else right send 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 the stuff that's interesting the stuff that's that's made you feel something or or makes you laugh preferably i have more to work with then uh <laughs> send me all that and let's try and let's try and put together something interesting together you know we're working out the tagline it's uh it's boston makes the news it's the news you choose you know so let's get let's get everybody on board let's let's get some let's get some ideas going around and reach out and make the product and the and the recording uh more interesting and interactive so please follow me in those locations send me an email i'm i'm open to talk with any of you guys 
send me a note anytime boston makes the news at gmail.com and i'll reply like i said in the trailer as long as i'm not internet famous which i'm kind of already feeling that to be honest i feel like i'm one recording away from kardashian level stardom if only i had a mixtape oh well so uh i guess we will see you all in the next recording that'll be probably about a week from now i'm going to try and release it uh next weekend as well so you guys stay safe and i will see you then this has been boston makes the news <laughs> <laughs>